values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. During King LASIK season of savings, LASIK for both eyes is now just $3,500. That's a $2,000 savings. When you couple that with 0% financing for 24 months on approved credit, LASIK with Dr. King is only $146 a month. Go to kinglasik.com slash Arizona for complete details. Um, Want to revisit the ballot box issue. Now, How? first of all, how common and how widespread is election fraud? That's always been a question for people. And here's my problem with this and I, because I kind of get stuck in two arguments and I hate getting stuck in the same arguments over and over again. One side says you're an election denier as if it's just one side, and that's not the case. Hillary Clinton has been an election denier since 2000. She denied the 2000 results. She said George W. Bush was appointed, that he he was not elected because of what happened with the hanging chads in Florida and that his brother was the governor. So, of course, it was rigged in Florida. That was Hillary Clinton's talking about that. In 2016, she used the same phrase you hear election deniers using now about Joe Biden. She said Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. And it's not just her. Stacey Abrams, who was running for governor in Georgia, an election denier, said the election was stolen from her. So we know that this has happened on both sides of the aisle that, you know, and I will equate it to something else. Uh, it, I will equate it to the people that when their team loses a close game, especially in football, they blame it on the referees or basketball. It was the referees. And that happens. People people believe and we all know that mistakes are made. They believe a lot of intentional. There are people out there that believe that the NBA is rigged, that it is, that is predetermined, that it's like the WWE. Um, there has been a referee that has been arrested and put into prison. I think his name was Donaghy, was put in prison for rigging games. So we know that people do this. But how widespread is it? How widespread is voter fraud? What is the most prevalent manner that people are fraudulently voting. But most importantly, are our elections as safe as they could be still allowing people the freedom to vote? We don't want to be overzealous, but we want to protect our elections. I think everybody feels that way. I don't think it's shameful to tell people you have to have a form of identification to vote. I have no problem with that. Do I think that we need to make sure that mail-in ballots are as secure as possible? Absolutely. Do I think that we should be more sure than not that it's legitimately the person who's name is on the envelope is the person that filled out that ballot. Yes, I do. I think all of that is true. I think every American feels that way. But what we're seeing now is a widespread ideology that says 2020 was stolen because of what the naked eye saw. Well, I will tell you there are similarities, and you have to at least acknowledge the similarities. Because the naked eye, and I'm telling you what I saw as well, in Arizona, let's stick just with Arizona, we saw Massive numbers of people every weekend out there supporting Donald Trump with those Trump trains driving around. It's anecdotal, but it still is what the eye sees. When Joe Biden would come to Arizona and he would do these those car rallies, remember, because of covid, nobody got out of their car. There'd be six cars that showed up. And it looked like there was absolutely no support for Joe Biden whatsoever. And it looked like all of the momentum was on the side of President Trump. That's what it looked like. So that President Biden won the election by 10,000 votes in Arizona to the naked eye. People said there's no way that's true with the overwhelming support there was for Donald Trump. But 
go back to 2016. How many people in 2016 believed that Donald Trump, anybody but Donald Trump, could beat Hillary Clinton? I didn't. I certainly I, I was one of the people that thought Donald Trump ran a great campaign, but Hillary Clinton and the Clinton machine was going to ro- steamroll that election. Donald Trump won by very, very small margins in a lot of districts, and he did it in the Midwest. He did it in the Rust Belt, as it's called, and he went in and campaigned. He ran a better campaign, but the Democrats to the naked eye said the same thing. There is no way Hillary lost that election. No way. And that's where the election denial comes in because to the naked eye, it doesn't seem possible. Then you get the um, the documentary that comes out by Dinesh D'Souza called 2000 Mules. People grab onto that and and what that story tells and what it looks like it could be, not what it is, what it could be. And people believe, okay, that's how it was done. And now you've got people that believe it's their patriotic duty to watch people dropping off their ballots at ballot drop-off locations. doesn't matter that there's 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week cameras. And that's the part of this that was the most infuriating to me. And, and just hear me out. When guys like Stephen Richer, whether you like the job he's done or you don't like the job he's done as county recorder, Stephen Richer was a is a conservative Republican. I will tell you, I was at campaign events with him. We weren't together, but we would be at the same campaign events where we were speakers. And I was sometimes was the MC introducing the speakers, or sometimes I was asked to speak people's backyards and public events. He was a Trump supporting active person wanting to have the president reelected while he when he was running for the recorder's office. He beat Adrian Fontes in that election to be the county recorder and he was also at the same time a big supporter of Donald Trump. I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. The same with Clint Hickman at the County Board of Supervisors. There is video out there, and I think I still have it somewhere, of an event out in the Far West Valley where Clint Hickman represents. That's his district. And the president of the United States, Donald Trump, from the podium, called out Clint Hickman and thanked him for his hard work. All of a sudden, when these people decide what we saw in the election was fair, we didn't see any cheating, they all of a sudden are treasonous traitors to this country, and they need to be arrested for treason, and they need to be thrown out of office. And it's one thing to disagree with somebody, but the vitriol and the anger and the desire to destroy someone is horrible. It's just a horrible way to behave. So now it's not just we're going to go watch these ballot drop boxes. I've watched 2,000 mules, and I'm going to set up my lawn chair. I'm retired, and I decided that it's my patriotic duty that I'm going to take a shift, and I'm going to make sure that they're dropping one ballot at a time in the ballot boxes as best I can tell. And if it looks suspicious, I'm going to document it so we've got some documentation. And we're going to put everybody on notice. If you plan on cheating at a ballot drop box, think again because we're watching. Okay. Fair enough. But why do you show up in tactical gear? What message is that sending? Why are you covering your face? Why would you cover your face? It is absolutely absurd. But it's the next level of what's going on, and we should knock it off. That's the biggest problem I have with this is it's just absurd. You look bad. You make everybody else on your side. I'm not an election denier. I'm not someone that believes 2020 was stolen. I'm disappointed in the results. I voted for Donald Trump twice. I voted for him twice. And I'm disappointed that he lost to Joe Biden. But the idea 
that we're going to intimidate voters and people on your side that truly believe that 2020 was compromised. And I, I hope everybody out there that doesn't know anybody that you would call an election denier, the one that demonizes people and says they're horrible, scary people and they need to be stopped. I would say to you that the vast majority of people that are involved with saying that 2020 was compromised are good, rational people like you are. They just disagree with you. The people that get the limelight are the ones in the camouflage, are the ones that are in tactical gear, are the ones with their faces covered. Those are the people that get the attention, but they are not mainstream in anybody that has this belief. And just like the people that believe that Donald Trump stole the election from Hillary Clinton, there's crazy on both sides. Anyway, you don't have to agree with each other, but you should act reasonably. And I don't think they're acting reasonably. And a judge stepped in and said there are limits to what you can do. And hopefully this will put an end to this story. In a moment, we're going to talk about the Phoenix housing market. It has dropped from number one in the country to number nine in the country. Is that a sign of things to come or is it a good thing for people trying to jump into the market? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Understanding that we are in difficult financial times for a lot of people, their job market is strong. There's no doubt about that, but people are afraid, and we are seeing a couple of things that are concerning, at least to me, that are very concerning. One of them is the amount of debt people are compiling now with credit cards. There is, and I'm not an expert in this, I'm not an economist, but I follow this pretty closely, and I have for a long time, and how they judge the... the, um, condition of the economy based on a few different indicators, and one of them is debt that people carry. Carrying some debt shows a strong economy in this sense, If you are, and this is the mindset. If people have a little bit of credit card debt, it's because they believe they can pay the bills. If they have auto debt, if they've purchased a new or newer vehicle, it's because they believe their job is secure and they've got the money to do that. They're extending themselves a little bit. It shows confidence at times, but it's also what they're spending their money on and when they're doing it, because now when you're seeing more and more people loaded with debt, when you see people that are surpassing that 30%, 40%, 50% threshold of how much available credit they have, and then you look at what they're buying, it's become very, very concerning to the experts. More and more people are getting close to maxing out on the credit availability that they have, and they're doing it on necessities, food, they're doing it for gasoline, so they are not spending it on, let's say, Christmas presents that we're going to pay off over the next six months, a vacation that we're going to pay off over the next six months. Um, They are putting on necessities. So now not only can they not meet their day-to-day needs, but they are also having a very difficult time of meeting their uh, the needs in the future because they're overwhelming themselves. Uh, I want you to hear some statistics. The daily household averages for the last few months when it comes to our friends over at St. Mary's Food Bank and the amount of assistance that they are giving families. In August, they were giving out 1,168 emergency food boxes every day. In September, it was a 1,216. In October, it's 1,299. That's per day. So we're at almost 1,300 in the month of October per day in the boxes they're giving out. And this is not giving food for people for just a day. This is giving families food assistance for sometimes five days. That these food boxes are not just a meal. It is days worth of meals that families are not able to make ends meet. This is another indicator of how serious it is. So I'm going to give my pitch like I do often. 
And that is if you are in a position to give. Now, this time of year, as we roll into the holidays, there is a lot of attention that is paid to food banks because when we feel as if we are able to feed our families and gather together and give thanks at Thanksgiving um, in a way, in a traditional way, we are also mindful of those that can't. And that's one of the things I love about the holidays is that we are in the mindset of giving. So I'm going to ask you to continue to do that. Turkeys are so much more expensive right now. The meals themselves are much more, 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 much more expensive. And you couple that with an increased need and you see the pressure that falls upon not just St. Mary's Food Bank, but St. Vincent de Paul, United Food Bank, all of these other places, these other kitchens and these other food sources for people. So I'm going to ask you to give intentionally. And and uh, if you're able to give, please do and be intentional about it. Seek out those people. Go to, you know, St. Mary's Food Bank. I joke about them. I call them the OG because they were the original food bank. They have kind of set the standard for everybody. But there are so many amazing organizations and they would tell you that. That's another thing about the people that work in this world. They work with and support each other knowing that it's the cause they serve. It's not just about your name. I love St. Mary's Food Bank. I've got a great rapport with United Food Bank. I've got an amazing relationship with the people at St. Vincent de Paul. But seek out the people that you know best or that you think are most worthwhile, that you have a you know some kind of a relationship with. And if you don't have a relationship, build one. Go and find out what they do. When you're talking about right now, the statistic is about six meals for a dollar. The the ability to stretch that dollar and feed so many families, think about it. There is no amount of money that you could donate on any of these websites. St. Mary's Food Bank is amazing, stretching it to six dollars or seven six or seven meals per dollar that you donate. A small amount of money goes a long way. And so I would my pitch is that we intentionally give. But when you look at what's happening statistically with more and more families lining up with this need, um, when you see people putting their necessities on credit cards. When um, the manufacturing in the United States is at its lowest level that it's been since uh, May of 2020, we are seeing the economy slow down, which is the intention of those that are trying to stop inflation is they are trying to slow the economy down, but they don't want to drive it into a recession. Well, we're seeing all of this happen before our eyes. So one of the things we can do to help if we're able is intentionally give. You've got three things to offer the world, money, talent, and time. They say treasure, talent, and time to make it all uh, all the T's, but it's money, talent, and time. And we all have differing amounts of those at different times in our lives. Whatever it is that you're able to give, it's time to intentionally give if you're able. Um, and that also means if you're someone that's in need, there are going to be amazing resources to make sure that your family doesn't go hungry. And uh, I, I think that you should reach out to those people because there will come a day when you're in a position to give, and I believe that you will. Um, and so that's just my pitch for this. As we lament what's happening with the economy in the U.S. right now, gas prices on the rise again. Fuel oil prices are going to go through the roof. Diesel prices remain extremely high. No, there's a lot of bad news, but there are also a lot of very, very good people. And so let's lean on each other. I think that's a great thing for us to do, given our community, lean on each other, and let's see if we can't make a difference when it's most necessary. Coming up in a moment, we had a great conversation with Phoenix Police Chief Mike Sullivan, Michael Sullivan, and uh, he was in studio with us. And uh, I want to reset that conversation about some things he said about what's going on in Phoenix PD and how he addressed that video that's going around the Internet right now, the Phoenix police officer arresting a suspect and, and looking like they were using excessive force. We'll talk about all of it. Next.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thanks so much for being here. Um, We had a great conversation this morning with the new police chief in the city of Phoenix, uh, Chief Michael Sullivan. Chief Sullivan sat down and talked about a multitude of topics where he sees Phoenix PD now, what they're doing immediately right now to improve the agency. We talked about staffing issues and recruitment. We talked about a lot of things. But it was um, it was. the investigation that is going on right now about a video that's circulating, and I don't want to shy away from it. One of the things that I'm proud of, and I, I am truly proud of, is um, my affinity for and my willingness to speak out in favor of policing. My connection is a family connection. My brother's a captain with the sheriff's office in my hometown. My sister-in-law, his wife, is also a deputy in my hometown. I am so proud of them. I'm so proud of my brother. He is the best human being that I know. I have many friends in the Phoenix Police Department and other agencies around the Valley. I've taken the time to watch the jobs they do. I've been out and actually been out with them and watched them work and seen what they face every day, and I believe that the job is a uh, is it a noble profession but I never want to shy away from when you see things that are being done the wrong way. So the chief was not going to talk very much about this while an investigation is going on, but he did address it. Um, and we talked about the investigation. We talked about the video that was out there, and this was just a couple of the comments from the chief. I do want to correct the record. I've seen a number of headlines that acted like we reacted uh, to this video. Uh, we acted immediately upon our investigation when it revealed the things that are out in the public right now and immediately instituted administrative and criminal investigation. I'll wait for that investigation to be complete and and see where we go from there. I I think, you know, I believe in the process and uh, we'll see where that process takes us. And it's a difficult position to be in. I will tell you, I can't, for myself, as a police officer, as a supporter, I don't want to throw cops under the bus. I'm a supporter of law enforcement. I can only imagine from a chief's position and a new chief in the city that is trying to build a relationship and build a rapport with the officers that serve the city of Phoenix to now be forced with, faced with a situation where this happened. I've watched the video. The video does not look good. The video, I will tell you a couple of things, though, and this is where I get myself in trouble with people that just don't like cops. Um, These cops had just been shot at by this guy. Now, I'm not excusing bad behavior. I'm not excusing bad behavior. I'm saying that this – one of the people that commented on the Facebook – when it was posted on Facebook is they just jumped this guy for no reason. No, this guy shot at them. He shot at them and ran into the store, and then I don't know where he threw the gun, but he didn't have the gun, and the cops were arresting him when this incident happened, if you want to go and see the video for yourself. But the reason why I started at the end of the conversation, because this is how I ended the conversation with the chief, much of the conversation throughout the interview that took two segments of the show was about the chief talking about the need for training, that the overall assessment, and I want you, this is where it started. I asked him about his overall assessment of Phoenix PD. What I've seen is an incredible department that is incredibly understaffed. Uh, we're working very hard to be able to, to, to fix that, uh, but that, but that staffing is a real issue. I talked about his focus then. What is it exactly, now that you've been here, you've made your assessment, what is it that needs to happen first? I've been focusing on making sure our officers have the skills they need, especially those first responding officers have the skills they need to safely defuse situations so everyone uh, ends a situation safely. That includes briefing training, you know, talking about time, cover, distance, slow things down, be able to tactically handle those situations, then bringing in nationally based experts in de-escalation and being 
able to have scenario training that will, will spread across the entire department. And then five, finally, a, a deep dive into our policies and, and making sure that we have the gold standard when it comes to our policies here. And that's one thing that the Department of Justice certainly will be looking at as they go through their investigation. You know, there is a balance, and um, the balance is this. Uh, Police officers must act professionally. They are given a lot of power that comes with that badge, and they must act professionally. But they also do a very, very dangerous job where they interact usually with the worst 10% of the population most of the time. Uh, I I can't imagine how I would respond. I had a conversation with somebody this morning about how I would respond if somebody had shot at me and I was able to catch them. What would I do? But I'm not a police officer. They have to – They have to do a dangerous job. Their number one job is officer safety, protect themselves. Unless there's a deadly situation like a shooting, a mass shooting, that has changed. Officer safety comes second in that scenario. Their orders are to engage and neutralize the threat. And that's a job that is difficult. It is a job that is scary. It is a job that is dangerous. And when the, when you hear the chief talk about those tactics of slowing things down and time cover and distance, all of those things that they are talking about doing, it is training them to not get myopic or tunnel visioned, but to be able to see everything around them, slow things down and be able to deescalate. And all that takes repetitive training so that when a crisis hits, when a violent scenario, a deadly scenario happens, your training kicks in. Well, the way you do that isn't with less cops. The way you do that is with more cops so that you are able to take a squad. Imagine this, a squad of cops who trains together and works together in in a way like the military, but they're an aggressive force. But this is, I'm talking about covering each other, knowing each other's movements. Where is each person going to be? Scenario training for an entire squad lot of cops that work together on a daily basis. We don't have cops, enough cops in Phoenix to do that. There are not enough officers in Phoenix where there can be a squad of officers whose job it is to jump in. And I'm going to jump in this shift in this precinct, and we're going to jump in there and cover patrol for the next three days, four days, whatever it is, or one day, while the squad that's normally in patrol in that district or in that precinct They are able to go off and train together. We don't have that luxury in Phoenix because we're dramatically understaffed in the police department. So if we all want the same goal, which is good men and women, well-trained, well-equipped, well-staffed to do a job that's this difficult, which gives the best opportunity for a safe ending for everyone. And I think we all want that. It's not going to take less officers. It's going to take more officers. It's going to take you know their strength in numbers. It's also going to be where you're able to pull officers out of patrol and give them the training they need to make them better cops. And I just think it needs to be the focus. I was really happy to have the conversation with Chief Sullivan, and I hope he'll come back. And if you ever get a chance to meet him, he is a, a very thoughtful guy. And uh, I was sorry that I didn't have more time to talk to him because I got to talk to him for hours and just picked his brain. So that was the wrap. That was what happened with uh, with the chief of police this morning. In a moment, we're going to talk about Arizona schools facing massive cuts, why it's happening and what should be done. All that's right around the corner. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app.
Hey, I appreciate you being here. I want to readdress a topic that I talked about earlier. Um, I want to go back to it because of an email that I got. Um, I talked earlier about we we talked about we've been talking about the economy quite a bit and how it's overwhelming some families that there are people that have never found themselves in need before that are now finding themselves in need. And uh, I, I just some statistics from St. Mary's Food Bank is the reason I started going down this road. Um, and uh, it was interesting. To, I'm trying to find um, – let me find the statistics on my phone. Okay, in August, the daily household averages for the last few months. In August, St. Mary's – now, this is just counting the two locations in the Valley. St. Mary's Food Bank, and not – it doesn't include United Food Bank and all these other food banks or St. Vincent de Paul. This is just one place. 1,168 uh, boxes per day. That's in August. 1,216 in September, and now it's up just under 1,300 at 1,299. So the need is still increasing. We don't know when that need's going to end. And these are not food boxes with just a meal for that family for that day. It's multiple days. So, you know, we're talking about people that are having a hard time making ends meet. And so I addressed intentional giving. I talked about giving intentionally. And if, you know, I, I talk about St. Mary's a lot because I have a great relationship with them. But I also have a good relationship with United Food Bank and with St. Vincent de Paul and many, many others. And I don't want to shortchange anyone. Find one you like and intentionally give. We do it during the holidays. It's a great time of year to do it. The need is up this year. Expenses up this year. It's going to be harder for them to fulfill all the needs, but we can help. That was the thrust of the conversation I had. And I got an interesting email, and I'm not going to, I don't, this isn't to, I'm not trying to, um, embarrass anybody or insult anybody, but I got an re- email response. So of all the things that I said about giving, this was the response that came to this person. He writes, my sympathy for quite a few people is near zero. Far too many complain. I changed out the word he used that begins with a B for complain. Far too many complain about costs, but they have manicured nails, iPhones, load their carts with processed food, and then go load a big gas-guzzling suburban. How about suggesting living in with, within their means? And I thought, wow, I wondered how my conversation about intentional giving and helping people in need – conjured up such a kind of a frustrated response. And I don't know how many other people out there feel this way. So what I responded with was a personal story. And I want to tell you that story now because I think it plays a big role in what's happening. My parents divorced when I was about 14 years old. I was the oldest and the oldest of three boys. Um, my mom fended for herself. My dad took off. And, you know, this is not to to uh, speak ill of the dead. My father passed away years ago. This is just to tell you the circumstances we were in. My father took off. My mother was by herself with three boys. She worked three jobs. Didn't buy herself a new piece of clothing in well over 10 years. I saw that, witnessed it with my own eyes. And so there were days when there was not a lot of food in the house. And there were times my mother was sad and cried about it um, because she was working as hard as she could and not able to make ends meet. My mom, my mom never took public assistance, never did any of that, but we got help. There was a friend of hers that I don't know how she knew the need. I don't know if it was a conversation with my mother or what. But she showed up at our house during summer break. My mom was at work at one of her three jobs, and she had a, her full car trunk full of groceries. I mean, it was the the one time in well over a year that the shelves and the cupboards were full and the refrigerator was full. My mother cried when she saw it, and I never forgot that feeling. And I thought, when I get older – I am going to give whenever I can, wherever I can, because the feeling of giving is so much better than the feeling of receiving. And so that 
occurrence in my life motivated me to want to do more in my community. So I don't know what this guy's issue is. I'm not I'm not condemning him. But to hear a story and to talk about the need we have in the valley, that there are families and it's an economic issue, that there are people that have been fulfilling their needs for a very long time and they have been making sure their family is fed and they're finding themselves with the price of gas, um, with the price of food, with the price of rent or mortgage, that they're not able to make ends meet like they did before. And I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. I don't think it's I don't think it's something you desire. I think you want to stop taking, you know, you know, as fast as you can. But it certainly isn't anything to be ashamed of. And what makes us, in my opinion, makes us such a great community is when we rally together, realizing that I could just as easily be on the other side of that vehicle. I could be on the inside of the vehicle getting the food box instead of on the outside of the vehicle loading that box into the car. And when you realize it or you've been there yourself, you have a different perspective because I will tell you there's a lot of things that can be said about my family. Laziness isn't one of them. My mother worked her butt off her entire career. There was was no not living within her means. She struggled to survive. And there are families out there struggling to survive. So the reason I'm revisiting this topic was, I don't know if, if, if this guy is still listening. I responded with the story I just told you to him. But I wanted to revisit it because when we talk about need, I don't know why it, it, it has this visceral response from some people in anger, why you're mad um, about some of the people. There are people out there that don't live with, that live outside of their means and they only have themselves to blame. Yes, that's true. But that's not the community I'm talking about. I'm talking about helping each other when we can. You know, it brings out the best in who we are. And it shouldn't be just this time of year when it's the holidays. It should be all year long. Intentional giving when we can. Giving always feels better than receiving. And I just hope people will. And I hope he'll reconsider after reading my email. Um, I hope that he will uh, um, reconsider his position. And we'll see. We'll see if he does. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, we're going to talk about a federal judge and the drop boxes because he has repositioned the drop boxes with limitations on people that are watching drop boxes. We'll talk about that conversation in the fallout next.